0: Well, everybody, welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Cale. Cale Curtis. I'm, uh, I'm on staff here at Woods Edge. I'm a part of the tech team. So if you come here on a Sunday morning, chances are very likely you will see me in the back of the room in the tech booth making sure things are going well. Feel free to say hi as long as it's not in the middle of service because I'll be very busy. But I'm there. So anyways, uh, Chris is not here. And Gabby's not here, so I can just say whatever I want tonight. We can just go off the rails. I'll just start it off. I'll say something controversial right off the bat, okay? You guys ready for this? In-N-Out Burger's better than Whataburger. I said it. I said it. Um, but no, seriously. Um, let's dig into the word. So... For the past three months, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John together, and it's been amazing. We've been taking it one chapter at a time, and uh, I love the Gospel of John so much. It's like, I would say it's my personal favorite of the four Gospels. I just love the language that John uses, how he describes who Jesus is. Um, It's just a really passionate, beautiful, and intimate way. And so it's a treasure to get to journey through this book with all of you, and it's especially an extremely high privilege to talk about the last chapter and to close out this journey that we've been to. And so here we are at the very end, John chapter 21. Jesus took up all of our sin, died on the cross, and as we read in chapter 20 last week, came back from the dead appeared before the disciples in just total amazement. And now here we are at the very end. And uh, when I signed on to talk about this chapter, I really dug deep as to like, why does John end his gospel with this story here in this chapter? Because he very easily, he could have ended his gospel in the last chapter. I mean, it pretty much captures everything you need to know. But there's still more that John... Wanted to talk about. There's just one more thing that he wanted to share with us, the readers, and uh, we're going to dive into that question tonight. So I'm going to go ahead, we're going to read through it all together. I'm going to start from the very top, and we're just going to go through it. So picking it up in verse 1, it says, after Jesus, after this, meaning after the events of chapter 20, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, John being the author of this gospel, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out, Got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, "Children, do you have any fish?" And they answered him, "No." And he said to them, "Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some." And so they cast it, and now they were they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. There's a lot I love about this chunk of text here. Um, First of all, just Jesus being... So to to paint the picture here, we have the disciples, they go fishing, and during, in this time, fishing was done super late at night so that you could best catch the fish and then sell them fresh in the morning. And so the disciples were out all night. They caught literally nothing, just not even a single, just minnow, like no fish at all. And so they're probably annoyed. They're probably frustrated. They're probably disappointed. And that's when Jesus decides to show up just the right time, he shows up and then shouts out to them, children, do you have any fish? And Jesus knows. like He knows that they don't have fish, but he's, he's poking fun. We can say that he's poking fun, but he's also speaking in a very affectionate term because the truth is, they are his children. They are his sheep. They are the people that he loves. And so, he can be a bit of a jokester, but he's also being very loving and speaking to them very affectionately in the midst of their annoyance and their frustration. An interesting detail here is if you've read the Gospel of Luke, this whole detail about how Jesus says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and then they just haul in a massive load of fish. This is like a nearly identical recreation. Of the moment that Jesus first calls Peter in Luke chapter 5. And so that's interesting. That means Jesus is doing something here. One of the ways that if you read, when you read the Bible, you'll find that one of the ways God speaks to us is through repetition. And you'll hear a lot of the same words or see a lot of the same images. This is how he speaks to us in our lives too. And so for Jesus to be recreating this moment here, there's a moment that there's something Jesus is doing here. And so we'll read later to find out. But another thing I love, it's just Peter's desperation to want to be with Jesus. I love what the ESV says. He throws himself into the sea, just completely like full sends into the water because he just can't, he can't wait. He just has to be with Jesus. And like that's... That's the desperation I want to aspire to have. And it's my prayer that we all have. And just wanting to spend time with Jesus. Because there's no greater person to be with. He's the greatest treasure we could ever receive in this life. And we can achieve that both through, you know, setting aside time in our day and prayer, spending in in one-on-one time with him. But also just being mindful of the fact that he's with us wherever we are, whatever we're doing in any second of our day. Sometimes I'm guilty in my, I can get overly habitual and overly ritualistic that I go to pray and then that's where I meet Jesus. That's where I meet with God. And then I'm done praying and I essentially leave God there to go carry on my day. And then I, my mind is just all over the place when that's not the reality When you believe in God, you believe in Jesus. His spirit comes to live in you, which means he's always with you. He comes with you wherever you are. He's always present. And so setting aside that personal time is good, but it's also important that whether you're on your drive to work or just in the middle of working, to be mindful that Jesus is right there with you. He's beside you. Scripture says that he's closer than a brother. Like he's right there. You don't have to try and find him. He's present with you wherever you are and ready to listen to you whenever you call his name. And that's really sweet. All right, so picking up, we'll continue. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, and this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead and this detail just this blows my mind like we have the creator of the universe the creator of millions of galaxies billions of planets trillions of stars the creator of countless cells and atoms that make up our reality as we know it and he makes breakfast for his friends makes breakfast for his disciples, by all means, the roles should be reversed. They should be making breakfast for him. That's what he's worthy of. That's what he deserves. But he just, Jesus just loves to give and loves to bless and serve. It's just a part of who he is. It's it's God's heart. He just can't help himself. He just has to bless and has to love and serve. And it's just it's amazing that this is the God we serve, that this is the God that we believe in. So we do our best to serve. I'm, I'm not the best, but that's the example. That's the humility that him being God still had the humility to cook breakfast for his friends, a simple gesture, but full of love and meaning. And so once again, we have a familiar-sounding moment. Jesus is recreating a moment in Peter's life. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus recreates the moment of Peter's calling with the fish. And in this moment, he is recreating the moment when Peter denied knowing Jesus back in chapter 18. Another piece of proof is that back up in verse 9, John specifically notes that when they got to shore that they saw a charcoal fire in place. And the last time that John decides to specifically detail a charcoal fire is in chapter 18, verse 18, when Jesus is arrested and taken before the Sanhedrin. And Peter tries to go incognito to try and keep a low profile and stay close. And he stays behind a charcoal fire. And that's when people approach him and they go, don't you, don't you know Jesus? And he denies three times. And then it says that he wept bitterly from guilt and shame, like denying his Savior and his Messiah. And so Jesus is recreating that moment, but he's flipping it on its head. Instead of being about denial, it's being about reassurance. Jesus is asked, not asking him, Do you know me? He's saying, Do you love me? And Peter appealing to Jesus' omniscience, him knowing everything. He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And so what's the deal with Jesus' response? He gives three kind of cryptic responses. You have feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. And I believe this is Jesus focusing Peter on to his calling. We know that Peter would go on to be a massive leader in the church as a matter of fact, back in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, when they're at Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus asks his disciple, who do people say that I am? And then he asks them, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, without, hes- without hesitation, says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms Peter and says, your name is now, blessed are you, Simon, your name is now Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And so if Jesus is the cornerstone, Peter would be like the next most important stone. I have no idea if that analogy works, but there it is. Um, and Peter would go on to do amazing things for the church. He would be the kickstarter of starting the church and the Holy Spirit descending upon people. He would go preach the gospel before Gentiles and get to witness the Holy Spirit falling upon Gentiles for the first time in recorded history of the universe and seeing God welcoming all people into the kingdom to be believers and followers of Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus is getting Peter focused. He's saying to Peter, this is what I'm calling you to do. You need to take care of my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, because you're going to do amazing things. And there's no doubt that Peter was dealing with a lot of guilt and shame over denying Jesus and knowing him. We see it in verse, um, can't pull up the verse, but when, he asked, when Jesus asks him the third time, it says Peter was grieved because having to relive that memory and that pain of going through that was hard, but that's what Jesus has to do with us when we go through painful times. When we're dealing with trauma and pain and bitterness and guilt and shame, Jesus has to take us through those moments in order to bring healing, in order to bring freedom. And you notice throughout this text, Jesus never says to Peter, you really let me down, man. You disappointed me. There's no... Condemnation in Jesus' words. It's nothing but his tender love. And so for any of us at any point, if you struggle with feelings of inadequacy, guilt, and shame, no, that's not God's heart for you. That's not what he died for, for you to live in guilt and shame. He wants to restore you, free you, just like he does with Peter right here. So know that no matter what you've done, whatever you're struggling with, whatever sin you may commit in the future, that it can't eclipse the grace of God. It cannot overpower the grace of Jesus. And we remember in, Gus, in uh, the beginning, in John chapter 1, when, when John is describing who Jesus is, he says he's a man full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And so wherever we are in our lives, Jesus' grace is there to meet us. And if we fall and we mess up, there's more grace to come after that. And it's just, it's grace upon grace upon grace. Never let yourself wallow in shame because Jesus is there to lift you up. He says, abide in my love. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So just rest. Trust what he says. He's, he's the literal embodiment of truth. So if what he says about you, that's true. And you can't, there's no really arguing against that. So continuing, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, You will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And John explains the meaning of what Jesus is saying here. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. An interesting detail here is that these simple two words that Jesus says to Peter are the first two recorded words of what Jesus says to Peter in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And church tradition holds that Mark was the personal scribe of Peter and that Peter was the primary source of Mark's gospel, of all the information about Jesus and his life. And so I just, I think that detail's pretty cool to kind of see that, see how it's all connected together. So continuing in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who'd also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So this passage here is something that God has used to really convict and challenge me as someone who struggles with a little thing called comparison. Comparison, as it's wisely put, is the thief of joy. And you can waste a lot of time of your day just looking at somebody else, and it could be worldly comparison. This person has so much more money than I do. He's got a better car, better house, better job. And it can even be Christian comparison. This Christian knows the Bible so much better than I do. He's a better singer than I am. He can pray better than I can. And we have to know that when we fix our eyes, notice what it says in verse 20, what's happened here is that Peter has this beautiful moment with Jesus one-on-one and then it says Peter turned. So he turns his attention away from Jesus to John asking, well, what about John? And Jesus is like, my plan for John, it's it's not really your business. That's between me and John. You follow me. Don't worry about John. John. And that shows that for each and every one of us in this room, God has a specific, uniquely designed plan for each and every one of us. And that plan is designed to bring out the best in us. And through that, God will achieve amazing things. But it can only be done if we keep our focus on Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on him. If we waste time turning our attention away from him and glancing away, we kind of just get in his way a little bit. We're forcing things that God doesn't intend. And we can become so, we can be struck with feelings of inadequacy. We can see this Christian, they're a missionary in Ethiopia, and meanwhile, I'm just a cashier at H-E-B. But... In the eyes of God, these two jobs are of equal importance to the advancement of the kingdom of God. The world wants to make you believe that this is way up here and this is way down here, but that's not through God's eyes. God can use anything and everything to advance his kingdom and save souls. Our lives as Christians is not about promotions and upgrades. It's about just being where Jesus is and just fixing your eyes on him. Make the most of where he has you in your life right now instead of wishing you were somewhere else. And if you feel him leading you somewhere else, follow him. Don't let your eyes stray from Jesus because otherwise you get confused and then you get rebuked like Peter here. Um, Continuing on, let's go. Verse 24. So this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And so here we have the author. He reveals his identity as the author of this gospel. We know it's John, but John doesn't reveal. He doesn't say his name is John. What does he say his name is throughout the entire gospel? How does John refer to himself? the one that Jesus loves. That that's where John found his true identity. To John, that was his real name. That I'm the one that Jesus loves. And for us, in each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. That If you believe in Jesus, that's our name. That's our identity as well. You are the one that Jesus loves. That's your name. That's your identity. And whatever you go through in this life, this world, people are going to attach many names and attach many labels to you. And you may even attach names and labels to yourself. But all of that will just fall away. None of that sticks. The one thing that will always remain, the one identity and name that you have that will always remain is that you are the one that Jesus loved. That's there for all time. It's set in stone. It can't be changed. Jesus loves you. You are the one that Jesus loved. I am the one that Jesus loved. So take hold of that. Grab that as your identity. Hold it close to your heart. Cling to it. Rest in it. Because you don't have to strive. You don't have to strive for God's love, for Jesus' affection. He's already given it to you, it's already accessible. You are the one that Jesus loved. And so, wrapping it up here in verse 25, the text says that now there are also many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And that's just a crazy way to end the gospel. Like, what? There's more? Like, Jesus did even more amazing things than what's been recorded here? And obviously, when the gospel writers set out to record the account of Jesus' life, they recorded the most important things that Jesus did, including the most important thing his death and his resurrection but to know that beyond that there were still like many more amazing things that Jesus said and did that just couldn't be recorded because no library on earth could hold the amount of books it's just like with Jesus there's more there's always more just when you think you get to a level there's more it just keeps getting better and better. And for each and every one of us, those words are the same. No library on earth could contain the amount of books about what God has done in your life and how he's revealed and shown his, his love, his life, his power through your life. No book, no library could contain the amount of stories that are going to be told from your life up to this moment and from now to the future. And it's just crazy. It just blows your mind to think about that. Like I can just, I can't even count the amount of times of my day of just the stuff that God does for me and I recognize that he does. So just to know that there's always more. Like there's never, it never runs out. His love, the things he does, the things he wants to show you and teach you, like it never runs out. It just keeps going. There's always more. And so here we are, the end of the gospel. So kind of go back to that question that I kind of asked at the beginning. Like, why did John want to end his story here? And I think, I believe, the purpose is to help us maintain our focus on Jesus. Because sometimes we can get so excited that we want to do things for God We want to do things for the gospel that we're not really paying attention to what God actually wants us to do. And we kind of run ahead and we get too eager. When really the power of being a follower of Jesus is through your one-on-one relationship with Jesus. It's special. Each and every one of us has a one-on-one relationship with Jesus. And that's a treasure for you to hold for yourself. So to know that as you go through your lives, it's through that one-on-one moment that God will reveal his power, will advance his kingdom to this earth and use you to do incredible things, things you never could have dreamed about or imagined for yourself. He's got so many great and amazing plans for each and every one of us. So rest in that truth, abide in Jesus, enjoy it. Let's go ahead and pray out. Father, we thank you so much for the word who, as John says, is Jesus. Jesus is the word, the word made flesh. And we thank you so much for all that you do for us each and every single day, every second of every day the love that you have for us, the amazing things that you want to teach and show us, Lord. So be with us this week. Guide us, Lord. Help us fix our eyes and our attention on you. Help us keep our focus not to have our eyes stray away, but to always keep focus on you. Lord, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We praise you. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.